Welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I'm Charlie Folkstead, joined by Reed Tingley as always, and we have Jonathan Prodigy Charles in here again. Uh, That's good. good. As from Scoop Duck, it's still Scoop Duck, right? Even though the site's going over a big uh, renovation right now. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's a little bit under construction, we're we're still Scoop Duck. Nice. Uh, Reed, you've also recently joined Scoop Duck. Yeah, big news for sure. Uh, I'm joining the team over at Scoop Duck. I'm super excited for that. Um, yeah, you y'all at home can mark uh, Prodigy down as my my lead recruiter on that one. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm excited to do some recruiting content, some other football stuff, and and just get it started over there. So it should be fun. He's gonna jump up in the rankings. <laughs> four spots. We run up four spots. <laughs> um, speaking of recruiting let's just get right into it um obviously there's a lot some news that dropped earlier today about the conference but let's start just kind of on the ground level with recruiting uh ducks have had a few different commitments recently uh both the jaleels and also uh t-mac all committed to oregon um guys just your general thoughts and what these mean for the program so to start off with the biggest fish uh t-mac um, he was between Arizona, USC, and Oregon. Oregon and Arizona were the leads of the recruitment. Um, Arizona was in contention of it because of what Coach Jed Fish was doing, but most importantly, um, his teammates and friends, um, Noah Fafaida and uh, Kenyon Burnett, um, tight end, and um, Noah being the quarterback commit there. Uh, T-Mac wanted to go there possibly to join up with them. And then Oregon, obviously, with BMAC and the relationship and what Oregon can do for him. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you talk about T-Mac. That dude is just, like, built in a lab to win jump balls. I mean, that's where the sport is going towards those bigger wide receivers in some ways. And, you know, he turns those 50-50 balls. I mean, like Josh Pate loves to say into 70-30 balls. I think with T-Mac – those are like 90, 10 balls. If, <laughs> if it's in the radius, T-Mac is not missing the catch. Uh, so it's a huge commitment. I mean, he's, he's one of the best receivers in the country. And I think especially at college, at the college level, with his size, he has the opportunity to really dominate during his time at Oregon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for those unfamiliar with what we're talking about, uh, this is Tetroy McMillan out of Servite in Anaheim. Uh, he's a 6'3", 185 wide receiver, pretty much a consensus four-star. Uh, again, we're seeing Oregon like recruit these bigger wide receivers recently, and obviously across the sport, it's been very important as well. We just had one win the Heisman last year. Um, we also got some guys who can hopefully uh, lock a guy like that down, assuming that they play on defense. I think they're both listed as athletes still, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Jaleel Florence is considered the corner and then Tucker's considered the athlete on 24-7. But cool. they both can play on corner at the corner spot. Even Coach Chance tweeted out it's going to be interesting in practice or something on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, both of them being high school teammates especially, like they already have that chemistry. They're building that pipeline down in San Diego too. Um, but, I mean, those are super – super talented guys and I think you can't overlook even though they've been trending for Oregon for a while locking that down before the seasons get started you know just kind of takes that weight off and allows Oregon to kind of shift its attention towards some other big names left on the board still for sure yeah both of them as you mentioned coming out of San Diego same high school at Lincoln um, I believe that that's the hive right they had a pretty big showing at SNL is that right yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, again, building that San Diego pipeline is really good. Um, Florence kind of more of a three-star, but I mean, he's considered like a more high end and then Jaleel Tucker, obviously the athlete is a four-star. Um, and it's, it's kind of easy to, to keep those two in my head. Although even if I can, like, if I don't remember exactly which is which, cause they're both named Jaleel, like I can always group them in my head as like going to the same school or from the same place. Like it just makes sense. It makes sense that they would both join Oregon. Um, okay. So you mentioned uh, maybe saving some, you know, spots for other guys in the recruiting trail. Uh, how many spots do you think we realistically have left for this cycle and who maybe who are some of the bigger fish we would hope to, to see commit? 
Yeah, so you want to go, Jonathan, or you want – you go, you go. I'll go. So I think there's probably five spots left. Um, there's a possible decommitment that we'll get into later um, that, that's been out there rumored. Um, but right now, currently, I think there's probably five spots left. Um, Oregon still needs to fill two more linebacker spots um, and then a nickel and then a few D-line guys and then whatever elite guy may be out there. Yeah, I wrote a little I, – I, this article probably will be up by the time uh, – it should be up definitely by the time people are listening to this um, for my first article over on Scoop Duck. Uh, and, you know, like you said, it, you know, you look at those two linebacker spots, I think – for me, my mind went to, you know, Devin Jackson's a guy I talked to. Uh, he missed his junior season, but he's out of Nebraska. He's a, he's a four-star guy. Um, and I think that if he has a good senior year, uh, he definitely seemed interesting, interested in the Ducks. It seemed like a good fit there. So that's a potential spot. Obviously, people know Cyrus Moss uh, is another kind of edge linebacker guy, potentially. Um, and then up there on the D-line, you got, you know, Guys like Ben Roberts, obviously, having just decommitted from Washington, is a guy to look out for. And then Anthony Lucas is another guy that Oregon is, you know, was in the top seven for, got an official visit from in uh, in June, I believe. So I think, you know, that's another big battle to watch. And, and Lucas especially is is uh, one of the best D-linemen really in the entire country. So he would be a huge win for the Ducks. Yeah, um, I think Connor Lee another big target that I feel like the Ducks need to get. Um, I'll just get straight to it right now, I guess. And Percy Lewis's perceived decommitment um, for anyone that hasn't been paying attention and kind of where he's located at, he's out in out of Mississippi in the deep south. Um, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are going after him, and I think he has connections with both programs, with a friend and um, uh, family there at both of, the, both of the schools, I think. And um, Connor Lee would be a perfect slide-in. I think Percy Lewis wouldn't be able to crack the two deep at Oregon. And my perception, just based off of what Oregon's recruited in the past two years with this class and the last class, um, it would be hard for him, especially he only has two years left on the clock. Like, like Salah was able to do it, but Salah came in more fully developed, and there's more things that uh, Lewis needs to do. He needs to cut weight. He needs to develop his technique. And Salah already uh, slimmed down before he even got to Oregon, pretty much. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, I mean, now Oregon is at, like, a, a further point than they were the first few years into Cristobal. Now Cristobal's kind of brought in a lot of young O-linemen and has the development going where we don't really need, like, a plug-and-play Juco guy quite as much when we can take someone who's potentially a higher rated uh, guy straight out of high school and you have more time to kind of mold and develop him at Oregon. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of probably not a shock to most people. Like you said, if you've been paying, paying attention, a Juco commit that early in the cycle from all the way down South is always going to continue to be a battle, you know, mm -hmm. until signing day really. And, and that's kind of what's playing out here. Yeah, Lewis is a guy who committed way back in March, I believe, of this year. Um, so he's been here a while, so I will continue to monitor that and see what happens with that situation. Uh, Reed, one name you mentioned that I want to touch on real quick is Ben Roberts, uh, currently committed to UW. Well, actually, not anymore, right? He just decommitted from UW after coming to Saturday Night Live, which a lot of UW fans obviously weren't too happy about. Um, is he, I mean, where would you kind of project him if, if he ended up committing to Oregon on this roster? I think that, you know, he, he's probably not a, um, you know, he's not, he's not a JT to him allow. He's not going to step on campus immediately and be a starter probably. But I think that he falls in line right with kind of the type of the lineman that, um, that Salve has brought in. Maybe he kind of takes over a Brandon Dorless type of role a year or two down the road or, or some, someone like that. Popo's been there, Christian Williams, Keon Hudson, you know, kind of the next in line, next generation of guys like that. And you probably see him, you know, not his first year on campus, but, you know, maybe he takes some snaps there 
then gets going second year and steps into potentially starting role third year, kind of in that classic college football cycle through. Nice. And lastly, for both of you, uh, Kevin Coleman, obviously a name we've heard quite a bit, uh, five-star wide receiver. Hold now any hope for that, or is it just kind of not really a priority for the Ducks? I think, I think we'll just have to wait and see how it goes, really. You know, obviously he's, he was made it onto campus for SNL. He's, you know, a five-star. It would be a great addition for the class, but at the same time, you look at Oregon's wide receiver room, and they already have four really great guys there. So we'll just see how it plays out. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you don't want to stop recruiting Kevin Coleman ever, but um, we'll just have to see how it plays out for sure. I think, I think he's a name to watch though. It would, it would be foolish to not pay attention to someone as talented as him for the rest of the stretch. Yeah. Pretty much the last two guys that coach B Max going after is Andre Green Jr. from South Carolina, I believe. Um, I think, I think he'll probably end up going to Georgia or Clemson. Um, and then Oregon will continue going after Kevin Coleman. Um, he'll for sure take his visit, his official visit to Oregon and a few other ones. Um, I'm sure Oregon, Texas, Florida State uh, being three of them out of the five. Um, but Oregon will continue recruiting Coleman, even though uh, Oregon's a little full right now. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to see how this progresses. Cool. Um, let's shift gears now real quick. We'll touch on uh, what we didn't quite have prepared in the outline, but uh, the big news today being that, that this is something that's developed over the past few days. It's that the PAC 12 big 10 and ACC have joined an Alliance capital A it's the Alliance. Um, pretty cool name, pretty cool. Like gimmick, if nothing else. Uh, personally, I don't really think this is that big of a deal. I think that really the, the biggest way it'll be impacting things um, is, is in two ways. First of all, being like voting. Uh, so when you have NCAA committees voting on stuff, you have just more seats at the table, quite literally. Uh, and then, so, I mean, maybe that affects playoff expansion. Uh, we've heard Kliavkov say that he is a proponent of 12-team expansion, playoff expansion. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's all down the road. The, the biggest impact I think it might have in the, the somewhat short-term future is scheduling. Um, Klievkov, has, Klievkov has also said a lot that he wants to, basically that he wants to cut down from nine to eight conference games, um, which I think is, is a good move, especially if you can replace those conference games with, you know, big time matchups with comparable teams in the ACC or the Big Ten. You know, so for instance, maybe we lose a game against choose a Pac-12 South opponent like UCLA, for example, if we were plugging it into this year, as uh, just as an example, you know, maybe we play like Penn State or something instead. I don't have a problem with that. I'm fine with that. I can't imagine the, the networks with the TV deals that this is all tied into have any problem with that. I don't know. Do you guys are you guys a little more optimistic that this means something or how do you feel about it? I mean, yeah. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Reed. Uh, well, I was, I was just going to say, you know, I think, I think that, like you said, you know, moving from nine to eight is probably a good call for the conference. Ultimately, I think we've, sh we've seen that we don't really get the credit for having that ninth conference <laughs> game in the end. So yeah. if you're not going to get the credit, why would you put yourself out there for another opportunity to lose? And then I think also, you know, if the Pac-12 wants to improve its, its perception having those extra data points of cross-conference play is how you kind of change that, you know? So having Oregon be able to actually beat Penn State would be a huge help to the conference. Now, on the other hand, if they lose that game, you know, it's kind of one of those scenarios you'd rather have people think you're foolish or think you're a weak conference than open your mouth and remove all doubt. And, and kind of going, you know, if you go and you lose to Penn State, have your best team lose to the third best team in the – in the big 10, then you, you know, now no one even has a question about who the lowest power five conference is on the totem pole. So, you know, until, until the big 12 becomes. Well, eight. true. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it's exciting, you know, but it's definitely, there are some stakes attached to it. Obviously if you play those non-conference games too. Yeah. It, I don't know. For me, it feels like 
Like this is setting up perfectly like World War Two, like with the allies and Axis. <laughs> <laughs> like, but the also question is like, all right, who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? Like, <laughs> figure that out with the SEC trying to run the whole country. Um, but I'm, I'm excited, even if it does go to eight games and we lose a game against one of the Arizona schools, I'm sure, or whether it be Colorado or Utah, that we'll probably lose a game too. Um, but if Oregon's able to match up against like a Michigan or like a Miami or um, uh, Georgia Tech, whatever, um, whatever the case may be uh, for that year, um, it would definitely help the perception of the conference and um, show that Oregon's able to play against anyone and anywhere across the nation. I would like to see if Oregon's able to play more of those like neutral side games, um, possibly maybe to help out. Um, with some like advantages uh, going all the way out east or playing in the Midwest. Um, I could definitely uh, see that idea. Yeah. I mean, even, even if it's home and home, I'm down. I, I'm a big proponent of home and home over neutral sites just, just because like you get to see the campuses and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah either is. way, I mean, it, it should be good. Yeah. And the home field is such a big part of what makes this sport special. So I think it's it's cool to do that. And it's also cool to see, to have fan bases travel across and have big fan bases come to Oregon. Like I thought it would have been really cool to have the Ohio State fans at least experience Autzen. And I think that helps raise your profile nationally always. Yep, for sure. Um, something else that might help at least raise the conference's profile uh, nationally, look at that smooth transition. Uh, we got some polls. Uh, I think the coaches poll might've been out by the last time we recorded Reed, but I, I can't remember. Uh, AP polls also out either way. I'm not going to run through both of them by any means. Like I'm not going to list names. Um, Oregon lands at 11 in the AP and I believe it was 12 and yeah, 12 in the coaches poll, uh, right behind Florida and the coaches right behind North Carolina and the AP. Um, Maybe the, the biggest point, though, that I was getting to is that there are five Pac-12 teams ranked in this uh, AP Top 25. Of course, one of the main things is that there's no Top 10 teams, which I think speaks to kind of what we were talking about with national recognition is no matter how good your middle class is of, of teams, you need to have those top tier, like playoff caliber teams or else, you know, the sport considers you or a lot of fans in college football will consider you irrelevant. Uh, for better or for worse. So uh, do you, what do you, you guys have thoughts on these polls? Like what are your biggest gripes with these stuff you agree with? It's not where you start. It's where you finish though, Charlie. There that's, you go. There you good. go. <laughs> I, I, I kind of figured Oregon was going to land outside of the top 10 just because they lost to Iowa state and they kind of had a little bit of a bummer year um, last year, um, which is fine. I mean, like I said, it's, it's where you finish and that's all that matters. And I know coach Mario Cristobal would say the exact same thing. And um uh, they just got to take care of business, whether they lose to Ohio State in week two um, and finish out the rest of the schedule or they um, just basically beat out their whole schedule. Um, it will definitely show where Oregon's at after this year, especially with the challenge that they have to go against going to Columbus. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, you know, for Oregon, you can't really complain uh, like that we are the highest ranked team here that wasn't ranked at the end of last season. Um, That's a good nugget. I like that. Yeah. And so, you know, and we're, we're right in the conversation with kind of that second tier below, obviously, you know, top five, I think most people should know uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio state, Georgia, if you don't top five, only five teams to receive a first place vote. And also for those looking at the betting odds, those, five stand out as the five with kind of a, a realistic chance to win a national title this year. Um, and Oregon's kind of, albeit at the back half, but they're, you know, in that next tier of teams that could threaten. And obviously, you know, you, you talk about that Ohio state game, that's going to determine whether Oregon gets bounced down to like the 15 range and has to kind of redirect towards, towards just a conference championship and BCS bowl. Or if they win that game, you know, obviously they probably bounce up to six, five, something, somewhere in there. I mean, they would have to oh, yeah. have to leap a big, a big range there. So there's plenty of potential for them to still, 
you know, move up and, and put themselves in the playoff race. Like Jonathan said, it, it's going to be about what's on the field. But I think having the committee give us, or not the committee, but the AP voters, give us this credit to say you were unranked last year, but we're going to put you above a bunch of ranked teams uh, this year shows that people, you know, respect the Oregon brand enough and have faith that this team could potentially do something this year. And that's all that you really need to see in an AP poll in my mind. Yeah, uh, I'm totally done with that. Um, some things that surprised me just from these, uh, Wisconsin being right behind us seems kind of high for them. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I trust Graham Mertz enough to get him to that spot. Um, a lot of respect for North Carolina, landed in the top 10 in both of them. Same for uh, they, Iowa State and A&M. Yeah, and, and UNC just picked up Travis Shaw on the recruiting yeah. trail oh, for those who saw top five recruit in the country. I mean, like Mac Brown's really got US UNC trending up there and I have a ton of respect for it. Like as an Oregon fan, you know, we were the program who was, who didn't belong in the top tier of college football for a long time and didn't have the history on the football side. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously UNC has a brand from basketball, but they're the same way now in football and they haven't made excuses and backgrounds come in there and, and is building them into a, legitimate tier two or three team in the sport. So that's cool. I'm, I'm rooting for them. And if they could, uh, you know, create some havoc and upset Clemson or something, Hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the wins are just like waiting to happen for them. Um, obviously they couldn't get it done against Notre Dame last year. I don't even remember if they played Clemson last year. If they did, they got smacked. I, maybe that didn't happen. I don't know. Um, last year, I think they lost by like a two point version or something. Oh, really? No, I feel like that was two years ago. I don't know. Um, maybe you're right. Who knows? Uh, let's see. Other Pac-12 teams. Um, USC lands at 17. Washington at 22. Uh, Utah and Arizona State rounded out at 24-25. I think UCLA also got some votes. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting a team that got votes as well. But, um, yeah, some nice, some nice Pac-12 representation toward the back end of that. Uh, obviously there's a lot of room to change perceptions about the conference early in the season uh, with these non-conference games, got us against Ohio state, of course, UW against Michigan, LSU against uh, UCLA shoot, man, even I feel like an underrated game and this is not going to happen, but if Colorado could like surprise Texas A&M or at least like, you know, give them a little push, uh, make it competitive for at least a half. That'd be nice. You know, that would help change perceptions because right now A&M and is locked into that like six spot in people's minds, I think in the rankings, um, just behind those top five, you mentioned sort of along with Iowa state as like the, the trendy picks to make the playoff this year. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point too. Like, you know, that five is, is the top five for sure. But I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of weaknesses there still. Uh, Josh Pate has been beating that drum, and I, I think it's very true. None of these teams are the level of 2019 LSU or 2020 Bama, I don't think, at least in the preseason. And so, you know, if a couple of them suffer uh, two losses or something, then that fourth playoff spot is opened up. And, you know, A&M's there, Iowa State's there potentially to crash the party. So it could be the type of year where, where we see a new team make a playoff or maybe Oregon gets back in for the first time in, in six years. Is it now? Um, so yeah, it should be a fun season for sure. From a national perspective. Yeah. Who do you guys think makes your playoffs? Like if you guys were to put a playoff selection right now, who do you think? Cause everyone's circling that Texas A&M Alabama game and now Texas A&M could upset Bama for that one. Damn bro. Put me on the spot. <laughs> well, let's let's say this. We'll save like official predictions and stuff for a later episode. But right. in my mind right now, I'm thinking like Georgia. It, I want to say Clemson, but it really depends on that week one game. If Clemson loses that game, I don't think they they make it. They don't have the strength for it. But Georgia can lose that game and win every other game comfortably if you look at their schedule. Yeah, Georgia. but if they lose to Bama, I wonder what that looks like. If they lose to just Clemson and Bama, I don't know what the committee would do with that. I, I really don't know. Is it depends playoff the, team Bama or is it like Citrus Bowl if Bama? Bama. Be, if Bama beats them, they're going to be a playoff team. 
Yeah, but they don't play hypothetically, like theoretically, until the SEC title game is the thing. Yeah, yeah. They're not scheduled against each other. Um, But I feel like that makes it harder for Georgia. Like, it's last impression, you lose to Bama. Just hypothetically. Not that they can't beat them, but – you know, that it's always bad to leave the last taste in the committee's mouth or their last last seeing you on film be a loss, even if it's to Bama. Um, you want me to go or what you want to finish it out, Charlie? I'll say Oregon just to fill a spot. <laughs> and um, again, these are not our official predictions. Um, and uh, shoot, like Oklahoma, shoot, maybe Bama has an off year this year. You know, as as we mentioned in our like three hour long preview, uh, Bama has a lot of like maybe, you know, 75 percent confidence games instead of like 100 percent like most of their games. Um, So maybe Bama slips up. Georgia wins the SEC. Speak it into existence. Uh, Give it to Clemson running the table after week one, Oregon or I mean, Clemson maybe running the table. Oregon and uh, what was the other team I said? Forgot our Oklahoma. I'll throw Oklahoma in there. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I think Alabama's best team in the country again. So I'm going to keep them in. I do think they have a loss somewhere, but I think I'll keep them in. I don't really believe in AM. Georgia, uh, I, I was leaning Georgia a long time for that Georgia Clemson game, but they've had some injuries recently and yeah. Now I now I kind of think Clemson. It's going to be a really good game. I kind of think Clemson wins that. So I'll go Bama and Clemson. Unfortunately, I think Oklahoma's pretty good. I think they're probably in. Um, oh God, it's tough from there though. I mean, really, could could A and M sneak in if they just lose to Bama? Could Cincinnati get in? Maybe I'll go. No. Dude, Cincinnati's not getting. They play. They play Notre Dame. They play Indiana. If they run the table, sure they can get in. But I don't. I don't think they're making it. I don't think so. Yeah. North ACC isn't getting two. Big Twelve isn't getting two. No. I guess. I guess Oregon just has to make it. I don't. (laughs) I don't see a fourth team. I think that's. I mean, Ohio State could make it. Uh, You could always throw a second SEC team in there. Is there? Yeah, I just don't know who. Yeah, it could be A and M probably, and Georgia maybe. Yeah, I mean, I just don't. Georgia, I was high on them before, but now I just if they lose to Clemson, and then do they have to go? I don't think they're going. I think they're losing a game after the Clemson game, hmm. um, even including the Big Twelve or including the SEC championship. I think there's at least one in there. I just think it would be hard for them to go 12 and 0 through the rest of that stretch. So, official prediction: Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson. I'll go Iowa State. Actually, I like Iowa State. <laughs> Big 12 is getting two in for right now. The unoffi- unofficial prediction: I think <laughs> Iowa, Iowa State upsets Oklahoma Big 12 championship. Have to put. Iowa State in, then the Oklahoma brand gets Oklahoma in for that fourth spot, and Bama and Clemson have one and two locked in. So would they split then? Because they played during the regular season too. Yeah, they split. They split exactly. Okay, okay. Iowa like State, Oklahoma split. Boom. I I, I probably have to change this because two Big Twelve is tough to imagine, but I do think that Iowa State's good. I do. What What's yours, Jonathan? So I would have to pick Bama. And then I think another SEC school makes it, whether that be Georgia or Texas A&M. Yeah. But I think I'm leaning more towards Texas A&M because now with Georgia having injuries along the offensive line. and Short-term injuries. Short-term yeah. injuries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, or- I think Alabama, Texas A&M, I think Oregon slides in there, whatever happens in their schedule, whether they lose to Ohio State or um, win out the rest of their schedule. Um, and then I think Oklahoma makes that fourth spot. Yeah, I've, I've just been like – I've done prediction, playoff predictions like every year since I was like 
pro like for the past like 10 years, I, I always do them or I guess before then it wasn't a playoff, but like there've been too, too many seasons where I put Oregon in <laughs> that now I just like, can't, I just can't do it unless, I, unless I really think they're a top four team. Like I was like, I mean, for like, when I was, when I was growing up, like I think from 2011 to like 20. 16 i made the case every single year that oregon was gonna win that like i would actually be like ah oregon's just gonna win the national title this year <laughs> and so i think i gotta move away from that so like, um all right man i i can't you know disagree with the sentiment at all <laughs> uh as you can tell i also do that for georgia now um so let's see. Do you, do you want to do the tiers thing? Do you want to kind of sort these teams into tiers in your head? Uh, I'm game. Do you want me to just propose what I have here? And then yes. you guys can tell me if it's, if it's complete uh, BS. Let's okay. do that. Okay. So I got first five, one through five in there. Like I said, Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, easy. Next tier, I think, is that uh, it's six through 11 in the poll. It's it's A&M, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Oregon. I think, like I said, with this being a team where there's five top teams, and I think three of them probably end up in the playoff, and I think there's a fourth spot there for someone in that second tier, probably. Uh, Any thoughts on those first two tiers? I would... Like putting Cincinnati in there and North Cincinnati and North Carolina are the two that I'm kind of like, eh, like, could they really be competitive in the playoff? But I guess that's not really what that tier is about. It's about, could they make it to the playoff? I mean, I, I think that that kind of tier would be on par with like Notre Dame from last year. Like, yeah, team, yeah they're good enough to make the playoff. I think they deserve to be in it, but then they just got their asses handed to them. Um, like, I don't, I would like to think that wouldn't happen with Oregon. Uh, the more I look at those teams in that tier, I think that kind of is what it represents actually. Maybe throw Wisconsin in there. I think Wisconsin could, could do Wisconsin that. Wisconsin could be in there. Honestly, a team like LSU, that's a little farther down They're yeah. like boom or bust really, you know, there's a world where LSU plays a competitive game versus BAM or A&M you know, or upsets either one of them. There's another world where they go seven and five, but. <laughs> I, I but, think USC may be on that same tier too. No. Lower? Okay. Lord <laughs> and Miami, I don't think are. And I, I'm assuming those are in your next tier. Yeah. 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 I think Florida, I think, did their thing last year. I don't see it this year as much. And Miami – I would love to believe in Miami. Miami's probably my second favorite team. Like, I mean, it's a by a wide margin, but like, I like Miami. You know, the U, the Cristobal connection. Like, I I always pull for the Canes, but I don't I don't really buy it. I've I've had too many games where I've been like, let's go this week, Miami. The U is back. They're upsetting Clemson. <laughs> Turnover chain, and they just lose by thirty. Like every time, it feels like. So I'm not. I can't believe it until I see it with them anymore. But next year, a lot of those teams are in it. Like Wisconsin could go either way, but I ultimately think. I don't know. I just seeing the Wisconsin logo in a playoff is just yeah, it'd be pretty. Rude. I guess we saw guess Michigan, Michigan State, State yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> But they just feel like they belong in the New Year's Six when they're good and not, exactly, like, yeah. you know. Um, By the way, on yeah. Florida, real quick, uh, a good Twitter tells me that Emory Jones has trouble completing short yardage passes. Just thought, um, I'd, just thought I'd throw that out there, you know. Yeah, that and, that and Kyle Pitts being gone is probably not, a, not great for them. Um, and just the culture there is, is a little suspect in general. But uh, USC's in the next tier for me, just because I USC, I've just there's so many years where they're overrated. So many years they have been picked to make the playoffs so many times by major analysts, and it just never happens. They always choke. They they I mean they officially I think have an Oregon problem under Cristobal. 
Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> like this pact the Pac-12 championship game this past year was bad. Like there was no reason they should have lost that. Remember, game. remember the, the graphics before the game trying to argue that they should be in if they win? <laughs> like right. kind of presumption. I don't remember that. <laughs> Bro, they, <laughs> it's like I was looking at uh post-game win expectancies the other day, some like advanced box uh advanced box score stuff from last season. USC like should have lost to Arizona, to Arizona State. Yeah. I think there was another – UCLA, they should have lost that game. It was, like, highly yeah. unlikely based on the statistics yeah. that they would win, and they did. And it's like – I and I watched some of the – I remember watching those games and being like, wow, this USC team is bad. Like, they could have lost to Arizona. Arizona. Ex- extend Helton, baby. I mean, Greg Jackson came in clutch later in the game. <laughs> For them, <laughs> yeah, Drake Jackson the projected first round. He bails them out for sure. Yeah, Drake Jackson and Drake London just bailed them out in general. Um, but I mean, they still deserve to be in that third tier for me. I think that there's actually an argument for Utah to be there. I think Utah's, you know, could do could do well. They've been good before under Whittingham. Like, I think that they just have a knack for winning those close games in the Pac-12 South. Uh, I think Washington, even as much as I hate to say it, is pretty talented this year. And their schedule sets up really favorably for them to have one or two losses going into the Oregon game, potentially, especially if they can beat Michigan. So I think they're in there. I think, you know, that there's that cluster of three Big Ten schools who's Tough to sort through for me, Indiana, Iowa, Penn State. Someone in there is going to be in that third tier, and probably two of them I feel like are going to end up being kind of labeled pretenders uh, a little bit more. But we'll see how it all works out. I think, you know, Penn State has the talent kind of. Iowa's consistent program, obviously, and kind of has their own unique Big Ten, uh, e, Big Ten West kind of persona. And then Indiana was pretty good last year. They gave Ohio State a tough game. So I'm those are – yeah, those are the teams I have in there. I just – I don't know if I'm buying Indiana. I think you could make an argument that, like, somebody like Ole Miss who wasn't even ranked could, you know, Ole Miss – Honestly, Who I are you probably, taking on a neutral field between Ole Miss and Indiana right now? That's a good point, actually. Indiana. Ole Miss, I was, I was going back. You're, you're taking Indiana, yeah. Jonathan. I think I'm sold on Indiana. Really? Yeah. Make the case. I mean, just like, well, they're bringing back what more than twenty players this year uh, from their returning starters. They're bringing back quite a bit. I, that's all I know. But, um, like, they were able to keep up with Ohio State and with another year and. Um, and being able to play like a full schedule last year, I think, I think they'll be a good team this year. Um, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are underselling them right now, but um, if I were to put money down on them, I'd do it. Okay. I like it. The two, two others you said will miss that made me think of uh, the two I wanted to mention, not in the top 25 Ole Miss and TCU, I think are two programs that people are sleeping on, especially in particular, the AP voters are sleeping on. Um, I think both of them could make noise. And I mean, Ole Miss isn't winning the SEC, obviously, but they could play a close game with Bama. They did it last year. They probably, they, they, they might have given Bama the best game they had last year almost. I, the Florida game is probably the other one that comes to mind. But Ole Miss at least hung with them, you know, in a shootout for a while. And then TCU, I think. Uh, it could be like a resurgent year for them. Um, they have some good uh, weapons at wide receiver, I know. And I think that that Big 12 has Oklahoma and Iowa State, which are both pretty good. But, you know, if, if either of them falter early on, uh, there could be some room for TCU to make some noise there too. What do you I, – I can't find a line for this. I was looking as you were talking. What do you think that TCU-Cal spread looks like? Week two. Uh, if I ha- – I think TCU's got to be favored by, like, 14, 10. 14? I think I would 
10? Cal at 14. Well, Cal's bad, I, huh? Cal's not – I think TCU's a uh, – do you see it, Jonathan, or no? Uh, let's see. I couldn't find it. I, I don't know. I, I think – Like six points or like six points spread probably, I would assume. Is I mean, I know Cal beat Oregon last year, but is Cal that good? It's at TCU. It's at TCU, too. Okay, I mean, I, I think TCU will win that game, but I'm just saying, like, that could be one where, you know, we – like, you wouldn't – it mean, wouldn't be a total shock to see Cal win that game, you know? Ted is not, like – it. okay, I, I do think it's probably – I would have it closer to 10, but 10 is also, like, 10 what the Oregon-Ohio State game is. Yeah. You know? So, it's not like – Okay, yeah, I, I think I'd – You know? I think I'd bet TCU at, at 10, give him minus 10. Yeah. Um, okay. Should we? Any other thoughts on this national stuff, or should we move into some fall camp buzz, whispers, all that jazz? Uh, we we can move into fall camp stuff. Yeah, let's principle. do that. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so at the top, y'all want to start with just quarterback. Obviously, has been the big thing. I think that people have been. I mean. The, the Twitter conversations over Anthony Brown are polarizing, to say the least. Oh, my God. I think everyone's got a take about whether he's, like, an incompetent quarterback who can't throw the ball more than 10 yards or whether he's, like, Vernon Adams 2.0. <laughs> so, I, I don't really believe in either of those takes. I do think, though, that there's a I, – I think that there's a reason that he was got the reps in the spring – uh, and I'm fine with him being the quarterback this season. I think that there's a good chance he's the best quarterback for the team this year. I know people love Ty Thompson uh, and want him to play immediately, but for me, you know, what I take away from the camp so far more than anything really is just that we now know Ty Thompson is legit. If you didn't know it before from his high school stuff, the noise that he's already made, even if he doesn't get the job this year, I think we feel really confident about – Ty Thompson kind of asserting himself and taking over that job heading into next season, regardless of what happens this year. And that means a lot more to me than, you know, really whether or not he deserves to play this year over Anthony Brown. Cause I think they'll be fine with Anthony Brown. I think it, I think they will be a little better with Anthony Brown, especially early uh, in that Ohio state game. And I'm fine riding out the season with Anthony Brown. If that's what the staff feels like they need to do, because I think he can win us, uh, a uh, Pac-12 championship, but what are your guys' thoughts on quarterback? Um, I I think Anthony Brown's probably going to play the rest of the year. Um, I think the backups are definitely going to get some playing time, especially against Stony Brook. Um, <laughs> and then I'm very excited about Ty Thompson. I didn't really think I knew he was going to come in as advertised, uh, like a really talented. And you watch the film, uh, what he brings to the table, but I didn't think there would be this much hype for him this early and what he's been able to do. I mean, congrats to him uh, for being able to do what he's doing. And of course, enrolling early definitely helped him. Um, I think Jay Butterfield will probably be number two. And then Ty will probably be number three. And then Robbie will probably be tied for third with that injury that's been bothering him. I might have the most boring take on this, but um, I don't really care who starts. That's not to say that I don't like care about the outcome of this team <laughs> or I don't care about like how well the person plays. I'm just, you've heard this a thousand times, but I trust Mario. I trust like the program to put the best guy out there. I know this is like not fun to hear, but that's, that's literally how I feel about it. I mean, I'm confident in whoever steps out there. I, if I had to put in a prediction, I think it would be Brown. Um, but as we've been talking about Reed in past episodes and throughout the summer, I would not be surprised to see Thompson overtake him. I think I also wouldn't be surprised to see Butterfield do it. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned he's your number two guy. Um, I've, I've been really impressed from what I've heard and briefly seen Butterfield do. So um yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not super worried about it either way. I, I don't think it's worth like having an getting angry over, like some people are 
doing on Twitter and probably in yeah, some message it, boards, but yeah. It, it's definitely too much. Like Brown doesn't need to be a world-class quarterback like Justin Fields was last year for Ohio State, but he just needs to do his job right. Like he just needs to make the right reads, dump the, dump the ball yeah. to the right. Like other than that, that's pretty much it. Like Oregon's receiving core is good enough to um, help help him out. And with the tight end group, even though Oregon lost uh, Patrick Herbert to an injury, they'll still be fine with DJ Johnson, Webb, and the two freshman tight ends um, helping out. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Reed. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, 100%, I think people get, get caught up in you need a game breaker at quarterback. And yes, it, it does help. But ultimately, if you dig into the numbers from last year, what really crippled this offense was turnovers more than anything. And I think, you know, with Joe Moorhead at play caller after installing this stuff and with all the weapons around the quarterback here, you know, if, if, Brown can just avoid mistakes and stop drives from stalling out and, uh, you know, stop turning over the ball like we saw last year, then this offense is going to be a ton more efficient. And I think they're going to put up enough points to win a lot of games. Can't disagree with that. Um, let's, let's talk about wide receiver a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Franklin, obviously, I kind of just want to get down to the, rubber here like do you think franklin starts yes week one? no yeah. not start but starts starts is he your wide receiver one or two i i think he he's the second string receiver behind um devin i think devin i think he'll probably X, yeah that makes sense yeah. Yeah, my thing about this wide receiver room is I feel like they're fine in terms of depth that, you know, you could put out, I could probably see eight or nine guys here who I would be totally fine oh, seeing yeah. the field, you know, be really happy with. Uh, and the real question for me is who's that wide receiver one? We saw, we saw um, Devin Williams, like you said, put up, the only two 100 yard games, I think for the ducks last season, mm -hmm. but then in other games, he didn't show up as, as big. Uh, and you know, the inconsistency has been the story of what's held him back a little bit so far in his career. So taking that to the next level, you know, obviously physically he has the ability to dominate games, but if he isn't there, you know, the ducks have other options behind him. Um, and who else could be that wide receiver one? I mean, uh, Troy Franklin, obviously, you know, is, is one of the most talented receivers that's ever stepped on campus in Eugene. And if he, you know, is he going to be ready to go from week one? That's a tough ask, but he might be a special enough player to do it. The other guy that I look at is, I think you can't forget Johnny Johnson, mm -hmm. who's, you know, the program guy he has more experience than almost anyone on this team. Uh, and he's flashed big moments during his career in Oregon and big spots. Uh, and, you know, he looks like he could become a captain or something. He's taking a leadership role. I think if he gets to the next level, um, you know, he could take over some games for Oregon too. Uh, but that's what it's about for me. It's not about, you know, oh, we just need to find that fourth starter as much as it is about who's that guy who can get 100-yard games when we need them and really create mismatches for the other team. Exactly. And I think um, with the amount of reps that Pittman's been getting in the slot as well, that changes things. Obviously, Jalen Red's been dealing with an injury for pretty much all of fall camp. Um, nothing serious, but enough to, you know, have Pittman taking slot reps with the ones. So um, I think that's kind of a good role for him. Obviously, he's not as big as a guy like Franklin or Williams. Um but yeah, I, I feel more confident about the wide receiver room than I think I ever have. Uh, also, tight end, I want to touch on for a little bit. Another thing we mentioned, I think Cristobal's comments about DJ Johnson yesterday were interesting. Obviously, Johnson's been away for, <clears throat> from practices for a while, uh, dealing with an injury, we think. We don't really know much about it. Um, 
and he kind of asked if Johnson would be back into that like starting role when he comes back and Chris Wall kind of dodged the question a little bit. So I really think Spencer Webb is going to take hold of that tight end one spot. Obviously, as we've mentioned many times, he and Johnson have a little bit different skill set. Webb's more of a pass catcher, uh, Johnson, bigger body. Um, honestly, maybe even Cam McCormick or one of the freshmen, Matavajo or Ferguson, passes him on the depth chart. Um, do you kind of have a depth chart in your mind right now, either of you, for tight end? Uh, I can I go. probably be Webb, Johnson, McCormick, and then probably Matavayo, and then T. Frigg. Yeah, that's I think what that's I have right now. I think that's probably right. I do think you're. I do think you're right that Webb probably takes over that one spot, and I think then it it kind of depends from there for me. You know, Johnson and McCormick for different reasons are guys who I'm not confident in as known commodities completely. Um, you know, McCormick gets the injuries. Obviously, Johnson kind of is still transitioning to tight end, even when he put in good work last year. It was kind of by necessity, and he was learning on the job, it felt like, a little, a little bit. Um, and so if they struggle to put it together, I think that second tight end spot, you know, Machavau could step in there. He certainly doesn't look undersized physically. Um, and so – you know, I think it, we'll have to see how that two and three go uh, for McCormick and Johnson. And if they leave the door open, I think then you could be seeing more Machaval this season for sure. And Ferguson, you know, deserves mention too if, if he steps up. And with this deep of a room, I mean, we might just see more 12 uh, from more right. two tight ends on the field. Maybe that's a consequence of all this. Uh, personally, I, I would rather see just 11 and sort of the more traditional organ that we've been used to seeing. But you know, again, whatever coach thinks is best, that's good enough for me. Uh, Reed, what are your other kind of storylines you wanted to, to touch on from fall camp? Yeah, the, another big one for me, I would say, is, is this defensive line, kind of the defensive line minus Kayvon. You know, mm-hmm. what, who steps up after that and really asserts themselves to say, I can, I can uh, require two blockers to stop me in the pass rush game or eat up blocks in the run game of take that next step to free thing for this really really talented linebacker room that now Kayvon has kind of become a part of so I think that you know that d-line is a big spot the Ducks struggled with rush defense last year um Kayvon had to move down and play play in the four eye uh which a lot of fans had complaints about and rightfully so because it hindered his pass rush ability so I think we're going to need, you know, this D-line to take the next step up. It's going to be a big test week two at Ohio State. I think, you know, you see that kind of the classic thing is almost, you know, as soon as you start the game, and obviously it wears down over time. But you can tell quickly kind of how are these teams going to match up physically up front? Who's mm-hmm. getting a push? And so, you know, it's going to be a big test. Can Oregon get that push? Uh, you know, who's it going to be? It's probably going to be. Popo, Mabe, Brandon Dorless. Uh, Jason Jones is a guy who I think could take a step in there potentially mm-hmm. and, and play some significant snaps, snaps this year. I think um, Christian Williams, Keon Ware Hudson, also going to be staples in the rotation in my mind. Uh, maybe some more young guys get in there. Swinson's a guy who people might think of at D-line, but is probably going to be kind of behind Kayvon, but I think Swinson's another guy who's, who's really talented uh, as a pass rusher, but kind of, we have to see that group, you know, they're not the most highly rated guys out of high school, quite frankly, no, not poor, but I think uh, they need to take this step up in development and it'll be a test of kind of coach Joe's effort there to see if they can compete with the elite units that they're going to go up against, against Ohio state. You know, they probably will be able to control games, at least hopefully in the Pac-12, but can they get to that kind of national level? Yeah, and for me, like, a guy like Mace Foon is really the key here. Um, Sort of a name that we've heard about for long enough where we sort of check him off the mental list of like, oh, yeah, he's good enough to start. Like, boom, put him at sort of the the joker, I guess, is the position that that DeRuiter calls it. Um, Basically the weak side cave on. Um, But, yeah, like you said, I mean – 
Deruder keeps talking about like filtering guys, mostly linebackers out between like, will they be in this ed- these edge spots? Will they be in the middle? For a lot of them, we don't really know yet. Guys like Jackson LaDuke, uh, even uh, Jabril McNeil, Brandon Buckner. Um, we're still kind of seeing where they land um, position-wise. So I think if Funa can hold down that joker spot and just like, I mean, it's going to be his spot. That's not in question. The question is like, can he literally hold it down on the field? Like, can he be a force there? Um, and then Adrian Jackson behind him, a name that I seem to bring up every podcast, but Chris will had a quote about him uh, from last practice that he's not really an every down guy yet. Um, that's kind of concerning for me. Like you want your sort of, he's kind of the presumed number two, I would think um, at, at that position uh, behind Funa on the edge. So I mean, I, I hope that I would hope that he can, you know, take that step to where he can be an every down starter if he has to. Yeah. What do you think about D line, Jonathan? Uh, I'm excited about Braden Swinson. Um, I they're they're a talented group, but it's the middle part that like I'm concerned about with Popo, um, and then um, Christian. Um, I know Keon Ware Hudson can hold his own weight. Um, and uh, the other side of KT, um, just more concerned about that middle part uh, for Oregon's defensive line. Um, yeah, I think Popo is a guy we've heard good things about in, in camp so far, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that is a great point. I think especially a lot of that rests on Popo. And if it's not him, it means Jason Jones is going to have to really step in and play yeah. in year two and, and play a big role. But we hope, you know, that there were some people who said Popo uh, was was kind of better than Jordan Scott late in late in Jordan's career and was really pushing him, right? Yeah. And so if if Popo steps out there and he does take it to another level, I think that would that would be huge for this team. That would solve a lot of issues up front. Uh, and if he's not ready to to do that, then it's gonna could be a long day. Uh, you know, for Oregon against Ohio State because they have no shortage of talent at running back. Um, and, you know, I mean, that that brings back flashbacks of the last time we played Ohio State, obviously. Uh, it, we don't want another Zeke Elliott situation on our hands. So hopefully hopefully that interior D-line can lock it down. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm excited about the defensive back group. Um, uh, I want to see if Jamal Hill and uh, DJ James come back. Um, I know that they're still dealing with that legal case and uh, we're still trying to figure out when are they going to come back and um, how that's all going to work out. I'm sure they're going to miss game one, uh, like for sure, even if this is done. Um, I, I know this legal case is probably going to take a while. I don't think it'll be done within 14 days before the first game. Um, I, I just hope that they're back by at least after that Ohio State game so they can come back for conference play because that's probably the most important if Oregon does lose that game. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that kind of feeds into what what my next big question is, is what does that second cornerback spot look like? And, and also attached onto that is who fills in at nickel. I think, you know, we you guys could give your thoughts as well, but I think another really big storyline has been Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges have stepped up and looked good so far in camp. Mm-hmm. Um, they've looked like from all accounts, you know, they could have potentially pushed DJ James, even if he was back and, and in the rotation. So if there's not, you know, if there's not a big drop off from what would have happened with DJ James to these two and Manning and Bridges, that's huge for Oregon. But if those guys aren't ready, Ohio state's going to pick, pick you apart all, all game. And I think, you know, even some of the Pac-12 opponents can expose that that second corner spot. Obviously, there's no question at CB1 with Mikhail Wright. He'll lock things down. He'll have a big year, I'm, I'm confident in. But still, if you have that weakness, you know, it, it doesn't matter that much how good your cornerback one is if you have a cornerback two almost. If you don't have a cornerback two almost. Yeah, it was going to work out better because Bennett Williams was probably going to slide to one of that safety spots and then Jamal Hill in that nickel. But now it's like kind of like moved down a little bit. I think it'll probably be Steve and then yeah. uh, um, 
I'm not sure. I probably Hapo. I know everyone probably won't be happy with that, but I don't, I'm not sure about the other one. And then I know Bennett will probably be that nickel, and then uh, Dante, and then Mikel. Yeah, it'll be well. Yeah, it'll be Verone. Verone will have yeah, one of the safety spots, of, of course. But then sounds like Steve might get the other one, and and mm-hmm. you're right. We'll probably see a dose of Happel in there. Maybe some some scoop Damon David. In yeah, there. I want scoop and Jeff, baby. That that's what I want. That's what I want, man. <laughs> Jeff apparently too. Uh, this is another thing I wanted to talk about. Is is the kick return game, and apparently Jeff Bossa is is in the mix. I like uh, that in kick return. I love playing. I love getting the youngsters in there. Uh, whether it's Bossa, maybe a little Seven McGee. Um, not Mikhail, <laughs> whoever it is. Not, I'm sorry. I know Mikhail is yeah. really good at kick returns. You cannot risk your your cornerback one on on kickoffs every single time. Like that's that's a recipe for disaster right there. When when your corner room is this thin as is. Because if yeah. he goes down and we still don't have DJ James, we're starting two freshmen, right? Yeah, for me too, I think, you know, I mean, he was huge at the end of 2019. Like mm-hmm. those, yeah. him housing those against USC and, and Oregon State, like borderline won us those games. I mean, the USC game we pulled away, but that was a huge momentum shift for us to get that at halftime. And in the Oregon State game, it was really a slugfest where we needed that for him. Uh, so it's tough because you don't want to pass up seven points. You know, like I, I do think kick return game can be really valuable when you score. But the other side of it, too, is, is that his production at kick returner is, is going to go down anyways because now he's playing almost every snap on defense. Then he has to go right back out mm-hmm. likely after a long drive and do it. If it's if he's that much better than everyone on the team, and we use him situationally, uh, maybe we use him just at the start of games when he's fresh or out of halftime or something. I could see that. I think you know here and there, if he really has the potential, and he's one of those guys where it felt like, I mean, in 2019, I, it was a small sample size, but it was like, okay, Mikhail catches the kickoff. There's like a 15% chance he scores a touchdown, which <laughs> 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 felt like. Um, if he's really that level, I think it's worth using him sometimes potentially, but obviously you can't have him out there every time because the cornerback room is already thin out. It is these uh, days too, like a bunch of kickoffs are just going to go over your head for a touchback. I, I think he'll definitely get some run. I think Mikhail will definitely be out there. Um, I think he'll probably be getting some reps at the Ohio state game for sure, just to help the team out and, um, uh, with with the field positioning. Streets say Ohio State has a bad kicker. I haven't really been doing much work on that, but I've been hearing – no, seriously, like if it comes down and gets close, shoot. Cattleman. Cattleman. Things. Game over. Cattleman yeah, dude, I'm not worried. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to. Sweet. Were those your I, – I wasn't really counting, but was that your kind of five things you wanted to go over from fall, Reed? Yeah, that's what I had. Does anyone else have any big things they want to hit on? I think running back group is going to be interesting. Um, I'm excited about that one. I know everyone really isn't talking about it because everyone already knows Travis and, T- and CJ are going to start, but I'm excited about behind. I know uh, Benson's coming back, and I know he's almost there. I think he said he's at like 80% um, fully healthy, um, basically tore his whole knee out. Um and hear good things about Cardwell too. Yeah, I'm Cardwell. excited about yeah. Cardwell. Yeah, man. For me, it's it's also just a lot about the future there. I think, like you said, I mean, Travis and C- Travis and CJ are going to have it locked down to a certain extent. But when you hear like Cardwell, who's a guy who wasn't even in the mix for 2021 for a long time, he was kind of a late addition, and you see him like people are like, he's a legit, you know, every down back and is going to be a really special player later in his career. You know, you see that and you hear good things about Thompson and so many of the other freshmen down the list. You really start to feel like this 2021 class is living up to the billing once they stepped on campus. Um, I saw a stat today on Travis and CJ, too, that they had the most returning rushing yards of any uh, running back duo in the country. So that's interesting for sure, too. Shout out to them. 
Yeah, I, I feel comfortable about the running back room. Um, like you said, Jonathan, it's going to be really interesting to see how the, the reps get divided up with those new guys coming in. Um, and I hope they get divided and it's not just CJ and Travis getting the reps. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's the thing is like Habibi Likio was getting necessary carries at points. Like they they named all three of them co-starters for a reason. It's like he, I mean, he broke out in some games. Like some nights it was CJ, you know, in the Pac-12 title game going for like 300 yards or whatever. Sometimes it was Cyrus jumping over people in Seattle. Like sometimes it's die catching passes or doing whatever he does, hopefully not fumbling. Like that's, that's just kind of like the way it was, has been, you know? So I wonder if there's another guy who steps into that three man rotation. I I would have to guess Cardwell right now, if it was going to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the, uh, you know, I mean, depending on the health of, of dollars and Benson, but Cardwell's Cardwell looks good. And McGee, McGee can be in other places in the kick return game, potentially take a, a a rep or two in the slot or something. So yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of talent on this roster for sure. I think, like we said, you know, getting that push on the D line and the O line too is big. I think, you know, physically, if they can match up, there's a ton of talent that can take over games here if they get to the next level. Mm -hmm. There, damn. I I was trying to find a quote. It wasn't actually from Cristobal, but it was from his, uh, him talking about he got a question about cj verdell and i think whoever asked the question called him like a a rolling ball of knives or something i don't i i feel like i just had to mention that um i mean it kind of works if you think about it like he's very north south guy like he just you know hits the hole goes straight through which i love that about him by the way i mean that was a that's been a big complaint in past you know it's something you hear like your dad yell at the tv about when you're watching games it's like run north south like quit dancing around so i love that Fidel <laughs> does that <laughs> but yeah guys uh any other any other thoughts on anything before we shut it down uh nothing for me really i, I do just want to say for for anyone who's maybe checking this this episode out uh from over on scoop duck uh, I'm excited to join the team for sure and if you don't know much about this podcast especially uh, we're going to shoot, you know, we did it last year and we're going to keep doing it. I think recording Tuesday nights and Saturday nights right after games. So we're going to try to get that in your feed immediately as soon as possible. Uh, and we've had Jonathan on a few times, I'm sure he'll be on again, uh, sometime soon. Um, but yeah, check it, check, keep checking this podcast out, share it, review us, whatever, you know, all that stuff. And also leave any suggestions about you know our format or or questions or whatever it is so yeah yeah our audience keeps growing every episode i think um so yeah tell your friends you know get get it engaged we get better when you guys prompt us to like (laughs) (laughs) Um, and when we get more pressure on us with more people listening so yeah uh rate us five stars please on apple Podcasts. i know a lot of you are listening on there um and yeah Thanks again, Jonathan, for joining us. Uh, it was good to good to talk ducks as always. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I got. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, hope to talk to you guys soon for sure. Of course, yeah, man. For sure. And yeah, again, it, check out Scoop Duck. Like this is where we get most of this information. So <laughs> um, yeah, if you if you want to be like as as tuned in as we are, or even more so, honestly, uh, check out Scoop Duck. So yeah, go ducks. Go Ducks.